We got him loud and clear now. Mm. Silky smooth. Oh. <laughs> Odom, you know how to use that microphone, man? No, man. What do you want just, me to do? You, you just got to talk into the microphone. That's the, that's the main key. Talking because oh, yeah. see what happens if you do like if you do like this it it drown you know you know what I'm saying yeah you're right so, there yep um, loud and clear what are we talking about by the way hold on welcome welcome Stephen Odom and Thomas Sebley to the three hundred seven podcast um we've got some ladies in the house we are not in the studio right now uh and I just had to tell the ladies to stop talking so we could do this podcast and it stressed me out dude yeah yeah well it took you long enough it, it did like five it took minutes you a few minutes five minutes to be exact you finally got there what's the saying though like hell hath no fury like the scorn of a woman like a woman's scorn yep i mean i thought i was about to get scorned son you were about to get scorned see there she is she's still thinking disobeying about it, the she's still talking <laughs> what what have you done wrong <laughs> I thought they were supposed to write notes to one another. Yeah. yeah. Look, um, look at this. For y'all watching on YouTube, this is my new piece right here. Thanks to Joe Biden. Uncle Joe. I bought this today because of Joe, Joe Biden, Joe Biden's advice. No, you've messed up. He said to get a double barrel and you have got a pump action. <laughs> well, daggone it. See? You got You have not taken his advice. Have have y'all heard Joe Biden's advice on home defense? Shoot. No. If you hear something in your house, all right, look, this is straight from the top, the commander-in-chief, all right? Okay. If if somebody is trying to break into your house or they're doing something mischievous on your property, all you've got to do is walk out onto your balcony and just fire two blasts. Don't aim at it. Just fire two blasts okay. with a shotgun. All right. You don't need 30 rounds. All you need is a shotgun. So, thank you, Joe. I'm ready now to protect my <laughs> family. And you've just got um, noisemakers in there, right? Because you don't actually plan on shooting anything. You just, yeah, you, you I, just need the blast. I took the pellets out of those shells and, lo and poured uh, salt. In there. Yeah. Because, yeah, that's all I need to do is make noise. And I've got another thing to show y'all. You're going to have to get that up close or Look, something. Look, if y'all are watching on YouTube, this right here, these are my duck calls. Number 23 out of number 25. Only 25 of these are made in the whole year. All right, these are made by a legendary duck call maker, RNT, from Stuttgart, Arkansas, the duck capital of the world. They, um, all right, pink and maroon double barrel dyed maple burl wood. If y'all can see this, we're shooting in 4K here. So you should be able to see it. Even your duck calls are double barrel. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. These are Joe Biden approved. They are. <laughs> You know, I'm real proud of these duck calls. I, I never would have expected to own something like this. These were a gift to me for my good friend, Thomas Zebley. How you doing today, Zeb? I'm doing great. I appreciate them calls, man. Yeah, bud. That's an heirloom piece. What's going on with you, oh? 
Hey, man, I'm just happy to be here. Appreciate the invite. Well, I appreciate y'all being here. Have y'all done a podcast before? I've done I've done a couple. Yep. What are what 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 other shows have you been on? Oh gosh, none that anyone would know. Just financial shows. Didn't you do one on marriage advice? <laughs> well, we were going to talk about that after the show. Oh, post, okay. Yeah, post show. <laughs> what what show was that on? Well, here's the thing, man. Twenty years of marriage this year. And the, the one thing I can tell you after 20 years of marriage is the first 19 are the hardest. Dang. That's the best advice I can Didn't give they you get guys. Didn't e- they get easy? In. First 19 are the hardest. <laughs> I'll let you know about 20. I got to get to August 4th, and uh, and we'll hit 20. But, no, man, marriage is fun. I mean, look, without Brooke, we would have been hungry tonight. That's true. Oh, you're dang straight we would have been so, hungry. Or either that or Zeb would have been cooking. True. <laughs> well, Zeb's can cook. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So I got my, we got our brothers, Thomas Zebley and Stephen Odom on the show today. Uh, you know, we, our friendship has really developed over what the last two years, yeah. I guess, about two years. And, um, got, how, talk, talk about how we met. Yeah. Oh, cause that, that's, that's interesting uh, because it, it meant a lot to me, and and I'll tell my little piece on it after you tell your little piece. Yeah. So it is interesting, and uh, I think it's a good story for everybody that's listening and watching because if you I, – I saw you on uh, Jesse Itzler's Instagram, and, you know, I – for whatever reason, you you just really stood out. Other than the obvious, you know, I think you had your your shirt off, and you it was like a you know the tatted up long beard, Navy Seal, whatever, which is is kind of eye catching, regardless. But I don't know, there was just something about you that I was like, man, like I want to get to know Chad, and so. Uh, I signed up for 29029 with Thomas. And um, my mission, other than finishing 29029, was to meet you and to get one hike up the mountain with you. And so I formulated a plan, which was very simple. I was going to find you at 29029 and say, hey, if you'll do one hike with me, then I'll buy, I've got a company. And we've got a hundred and something employees and I'll buy t-shirts for all my teammates. And, uh, and so, you know, at 29029, as you know, the coaches sometimes have a lot of people that want to talk to you. And, and so it's kind of hard to find that moment where I could just come up to you and say, you know, Hey, here's my name. And I'd love to do a hike with you. And, and, uh, and so I saw you at the, at the chow hall. Yep. And, you had uh, the the couple of guys that were sitting with you had just gotten up and and so I just kind of scooted in there and introduced myself and and uh, I said I'd love to do a hike with you. It was probably ten or eleven o'clock at night. I know it was getting on into it the was getting up there. Yeah, and um, and I was getting tired and saw you and sat down and you said, "Well, let me hit the head and let's go." And that started uh yeah 
I started our little friendship. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and for me, that was one of the first events that I had kind of went to as a, I think that was the first time I had ever spoken to an audience. And, and I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know where I fit in this piece. And at those events, there's a lot of people there that are business people, right? I don't know nothing about no business people. And so, you know, you rub shoulders with a lot of these folks. And, and you know, just some, a lot of them just ain't my type of people. But what's been cool about you guys is y'all are business people. But you cool cats too, you know what I mean? And, and there was no way for me to realize that at the time. I treat everybody equally, but there was no way for me to realize that our friendship would actually be what I hope to be a lifelong friendship. And um, the interesting thing about those T-shirts that you bought is we had just got these T-shirts. Man, we thought we were we thought we were big shots because we had T-shirts, right? We didn't have anything else, nothing else to like generate income. We started the company with $2,500 and we, um, you know, got these t-shirts and then you placed an order for 130 t-shirts and we were like, holy crap, we in business now, son. <laughs> like you have no idea how much that meant to us. You remember when that went down, Blake? Yeah, that, I, I think that was the first thing you told me. And he called me up and he said, man, I hiked with this dude and he's going to buy 100 and 30 shirts and i thought son <laughs> hey we're good son yeah, we're good for good. the year yeah, yeah that's let's right take the rest of the year off <laughs> yeah done <laughs> that meant a lot to us it man it, well it man really that did. that hike you know i'll um i'll remember it forever because at the at the end of the hike you said to me and it, it was now probably close to midnight and you probably i, I think i was on number maybe eight nine or ten somewhere in that range you were probably on you know, 12, 13, or 14, I would imagine. And um, and you said, hey, I'm going to... So the, f the first time that I did uh, the October Vermont yep. hike, I didn't finish. And so this was my second attempt. And so I really, really wanted to finish this time. And, um, and I, I had told you that going up the mountain. And you said, well, I'm going to go get some sleep but I'm going to put my phone right beside my head. So if you need me, just call me and I'll come back out here and I'll hike with you again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that to me that, you know, there was, there was nothing you could have said that would have meant more to me at that point in time. Cause like Jesse says, when you're there, that's your job. That mountain's your job. Mm -hmm. And I was so focused on really trying to finish. And, um, and I just, I really, really appreciated cause I knew you would have, but there was yeah. no way I was going to call you and wake you up. But um, yeah, it would have had to get bad for you. Yeah, real bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember waking up the next morning, and that was the first thing that I thought of. Like, I want to go figure out where you're at to see to just to make sure that you you were still in the fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it it was definitely on my mind, and I could tell right off the bat, man, that you were that you were a good a good dude you know what i mean like you you weren't you you weren't putting on no airs you weren't trying and that that's another thing man neither one of you you guys have been extremely successful in business multiple times and it's like 
y'all don't flaunt it. You just are who you're doing what you do because you love what you do. And that's a, that's unique, man. That's very unique. Zeb, man, uh, you've had an interesting ride. I, I, I want to hear a little bit about, first of all, you served in the Air Force. Yes, sir. I just want whatever you want to tell us about your service and then your transition because you didn't just take the normal route once you got out. I mean, you've been you've been in all kinds of stuff, dude. Yeah, so uh, you know, did the what most of us did, you know, just like you, high school, then I was like I'm joined the service, did the Air Force thing, Middle East the whole time, pretty much the whole time, Saudi Arabia, Prince Sultan Air Base, Bahrain, and I've always wanted to fly airplanes. And so the Air Force paid for me to get my pilot ratings, got my pilot ratings, got out, and uh, flew for a little bit for corporate aircraft partners. See, so I had no clue you had done that. Yeah, hated it. Uh, worst job ever. Then uh, 9-11 happened. Then got recalled in. Uh, it was, you know, when you're a civilian and you get recalled in, it's just a, it was a gut punch. But on my flight back, this guy, you know, everyone was patriotic. And um, I'll never forget it. This guy's like, hey, you're, you're sitting in the back of the airplane. How about you take my ticket and you give me yours? And I got to fly first class. It's kind of like when, you know, we went duck hunting, what you said. Mm-hmm. And so um, I flew first class, never done it. And the guy that I was sitting next to, he, you know, you start, he started making small talk. And he was like, man, I love hiring military guys. What are you going to do when you get back to the States? And I'm like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to fly airplanes. I don't know what I want to do. And he was like, well, I can teach you business and teach you selling if you want to come to interview with my company on Tuesday. So Tuesday, and ended up, we were in London, and his office was in Roswell, Georgia. So this is a guy thing. And so um, got back on Sunday, went to his office on Tuesday. He said I'd be there at 7 a.m. He interviewed me, hired me on the spot, started on Wednesday. And the rest is history. We got acquired, and then I basically got lucky to do another business. Then uh, a good friend of mine um, told me about a cybersecurity company. Then I started doing that. Then we got bought by IBM. Then I went and did another startup, and then that got acquired. Then I did another uh, startup in Atlanta, and first company that raised $29 million in Series A. And during all this time, um, my younger brother passed away. Uh, he had a pulmonary aneurysm. And this is when I was just starting a business, and um, I'll never forget it, because that's when I realized that, hey, there's more to life than just business. Mm. And so my wife now, um, we were dating at the time, when he died, we were driving up this interstate, and it said, we party on Sunday. I'm like, man, what kind of church puts a sign up that says we party on Sunday? And it ended up being his hands church. Um, our business partner, the CEO at the time, um, he Baptized my wife and I, baby dedication to our two kids, and I was in this this fork in the road. If, if was I was I going to do another startup in tech, or was I going to do something else? And my wife said that God told her to do for me to do something else. And so Steve called me out of the blue. He's like, "Hey, would you want to come and interview and start this like thing that I'm already doing? It's insurance." I'm like, "Man, I don't think I'm going to want to do insurance." He's like, "Come and meet my business partner, Stephen Odom." And, you, you know, once you meet Odom for the first time, he's like a brother from another mother. Yeah. And I'll never forget it. We went to Wingstop in Kennesaw. We had freaking, you know, buffalo stuff everywhere, 
ranch everywhere, and we just basically just talked, and the rest has been history. Nine years uh, next month. So that's the story. Well, I want to ask you, Zeb, uh, when you transitioned out of the Air Force, why did you decide to continue to pursue these things that were essentially yours or part yours? So things that, you you know, businesses, startups that you had ownership of instead of just, you know, maybe going the more traditional route because you've done this multiple times. So it's there's obviously something there. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, the 1st and the 15th, you know, in the military. Yeah. And then I just remember wanting to move off base so I could make more money. Then got married so I can make more money. And my dad was in the Marines for a long time. And I, did, I, wanted, I didn't want to do a normal, like, collect a paycheck, if that makes sense. And I wanted to take a risk on my own, like, just do something different. Mm. And I kind of knew when I was young I was going to do something different, but I just had to tell myself I'm just going to do this. So I did. I just took the risk. Mm-hmm. It was hard. Don't give me – I mean, I was scared at first. Yeah. But I don't know. I just, it's that grit. Like, I just knew I could just do it. Do you get a thrill out of it? Oh, I love it. Like, what we're doing right now, we're starting another business, and I love it. Yeah. Starting something from new and just watching it grow, it's just, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But it's hard, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're celebrating our 10th year uh, anniversary at Impact, and... That's next, on Monday, so, you know, a couple of days here. And I was – it's hard to find the, the exact correct stats on the Internet, but I think it's somewhere between 70 to 90% of companies fail. It, you know, they don't ever make it to 10 years. Yeah. It's mm. somewhere between 70 to 90% wow, don't ever make it to 10 years. But, you know, it's like 30% that don't ever make it out of the first year and then 50% that don't ever make it out of the second year and so forth and so on. What What are the main, I mean, what are the main reasons that you, in your experience, why don't those companies make it out of that first year or in, in most especially that 10th year? Like what has allowed you, you've done something right, obviously. Like, well, we both probably would have different answers, but I, I think um, the one thing that we really focused on with with impact is just get the right people on the bus. And so I feel pretty strongly that if with our team, if you get the right people, you can go be successful at open up a Krispy Kreme donut shop. Mm. You can be successful. You know, mm. you, you can, if you get the right people on the bus, but that's the hardest part is how do you get the right people? How do you have enough patience through the interview process when you're growing fast? How do you have the enough patience to make sure that you're bringing on the right person and not just a person because you need a person just because you're growing? And that part is really, really hard to do. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's a solid answer. That resonates a lot with me because, mm-hmm. you know, Blake and I, we just had to bring on our – we just brought on our first new team member, Noah Cochran, Chile. And, um, yeah, I mean, we've been waiting for a year 
or more for that right person, right? And then it has to be the right person, but then you also have to be able to afford them. Mm-hmm. True. You know, so like, you know, that's another layer of difficulty that adds to getting those right people on the bus. But I'll tell you what, man, that gives me great confidence, though, to hear you say that, to know that if you are patient enough to get the right people around you that are, uh, what what do you whatever you want to say bought into the mission, yeah. Um, with the right work ethic, the right values, the right standards, that it doesn't matter what you do, you can't fail. That's right. That that should encourage a lot of people. Yeah, so. and it's easy to talk about it. It's another thing to actually be patient and really try to find the the right person. And and when you're in that growth mode, and you guys y'all are, you know y'all are growing, y'all are doing some stuff right. You know, you've, you've really, you're starting to build a nice business and, and, um, it's, it's just hard to, cause what happens eventually is you're no longer doing the hiring. Now you've got other people on your team that are starting to do the hiring. Mm. And so everybody has to be bought in on, Hey, don't just, don't, don't hire three to find one, you know, which happens in a lot of companies. You go hire 10 guys and hope one makes it. You know, it's no, let's just, let's go find the one let's pour into them and let's, let's hope that they can make it. Yeah. Yeah. I just read that in the book. So I'm glad to hear that it actually works and it's not just in a book. (laughs) This is why we brought these men on this podcast. We have like, not just because they're our friends, but Brooke wanted to be on this podcast actually tonight. And I told Blake, I said, Blake, uh, Brooke wants to be on the podcast. We only have four mics. Blake said, no, I, I got some stuff I can learn from these guys. <laughs> be too costly for me to miss Yeah, that. he said, no, I'm coming. To, I'm on this podcast, son. <laughs> what about you, Zeb? What would, how would you look at that um, question? Definitely on the hiring and making tough decisions early. You know. Um, what do you mean by that? Firing. Okay which is one of the hardest things you would have to do as a business, any manager, but as a business owner, um, you know, Steve and I talked about this, this last time, you know, during COVID, we had to do some adjustments in our company and we both made the decision together. Like, I don't care who you are laying anyone off is a terrible, it's, it's not a good feeling. Yeah. But and you kind of feel like you failed, you know, but you really didn't because Odom said it best. So he's, the only CEO I've ever worked with, he's an, an, an empowering CEO. So an empowering CEO gets a group of leaders and he empowers them to do what they do best. And so he once said that if you think about, if you're talking about someone next year and they're not, you haven't corrected it, it's your fault. And it's just that type of leadership, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and then just making them tough decisions early if you make them early, then the business will correct itself. If you do it late, then it becomes a cancer. Mm. And again, that's one of those, it's, it's easy to sit here and talk about it. But yeah. Yeah. It's hard to do it. Yeah. But the successful businesses, you know, you, you got to have, you got to have the Thomas on the team that really holds everybody accountable for, Hey, if it's not the right fit, then you, you have to make the hard call and you have to let them go and we have to go find that right person. And, and you know, the thing that you got to think about is if someone's on your team that's that's not happy, 
they may, you know, you, you're holding them back because they may, the next job they find may be their dream job. It may be the job where they can flourish, mm-hmm. and, but, it, but they're afraid to leave because they, that paycheck, right? And so I think you have to always think about it from, from that aspect also of, look, we're, we're holding this person back from going and finding what they're meant to, to do. And so let's not be selfish. Let's let's make the right call mm. and go try to find the right person. Hey, that's a good perspective, though. And I, I want to back up in your story uh, of who you are because I don't know your story. And um, just try to understand, obviously, you've got, some, you've got some great strategy as it revolves around leading your, your team uh, and – that ownership piece is so important. And, uh, I mean, how did you develop this type of mindset? Where did this come from? I mean, cause yeah, you've, you're crushing it, man. Well, thank you. Um, so, you know, my story is, is rather simple. It's, it's definitely not as, uh, as elaborate as <laughs> Mr. Zebley's. It's my, I, my father, uh, was a butcher. He worked for 50 years in a grocery store. And my mom was crosswalk guard. So every school I went to, she followed and and would just, you know, be the crosswalk guard at the school until I went to middle school and then she was the crosswalk guard at that school. Huh. And um and my dad growing up, you know, he would say there was pretty much two two things. Number one is you're never gonna work in a grocery store. So he he did not that there's anything wrong. I my dad gave me a great life, but he worked his butt off, man. You know, you're talking 60, 70 hours a week. He was in the in the freezer in the back you, of the meat rough, department. That's rough work, brother. And it, it's um, it's honorable work. It's hard work. It's we need it, right? I mean, you, you like yeah. to go to the grocery store and have a steak back there. You can go buy and some hamburger meat. Um, but he just didn't want me to do that, and. Um, and then I remember when I was in high school in the nineties, uh, Bill Clinton was president. My dad was in the Marine Corps and, um, and I heard a recruiter call my house one day and, uh, and I actually answered the phone and my dad's like, who is it? And Mike, it's, it's this recruiter. And he goes, give me the phone. He comes over there and grabs that phone. He said, as long as. As Bill Clinton is the president of the United States, my son will not join the military. Boom. Huh. And then he looked at me and said, as long as Bill Clinton is the president, you are not joining <laughs> this military. And my dad was actually a very soft-spoken man. Never, I, don't, I never heard my dad cuss. I never heard my dad raise his voice. Um, a sweet man, but, man, I saw a different side of him. So I knew I wasn't joining the military because he made it very clear he did not like that president for whatever the reasons were. And and uh, so I knew I wasn't going to join the military, and I knew I wasn't going to be a meat man. And I got lucky. I, I had just got married, and um, I had a buddy that I went to college with that he kept calling me saying, you need to come over here and interview at this company. And it was just this little company that had five, he was the the fifth employee there, and it's um this basically what we do now is this insurance marketing company, and I was in a point where Kendra and I just got married, 
and we didn't have enough money to go on a, a full week long honeymoon. And so I said, well, look, I, I, we're going to go to Clearwater for a couple days for our honeymoon. And then I'll, I'll come back and cause I took the whole week off and I'll interview at this company. And, um, and that's where I met Steve Craig, who was the guy he was talking about earlier that, um, really, you know, changed my life, gave me an opportunity in a business that I didn't know anything about. So, so really I went from in high school, you know, right after high school, I washed cars and, um, I built swimming pools and put on some roofs during the summer. And, uh, my first real job right out of college was just for a few months at this little, uh, medical sales company. And then I had this guy just Preston Porter just kept come interview, come interview, come interview. And thank God I did because it, it changed my life. And when you met, when you met Steve, yeah. So was Steve working at that? Yeah, he had place? started that company. Okay, so Steve was the owner of that. He company. was the owner. He started it right out of his basement. It's just one of those stories that you've heard, you know, guy with a telephone and a fax machine down in his basement. And uh, I started the week after nine eleven, and our industry really changed forever after 9-11 because people remembered again that the stock market doesn't just go up. And, um, and so what our products that we sell, you know, basically it just, it's a conservative type of product and it's really good for seniors that don't want risk. And so, um, after 9-11, it came, it was probably like a five or $600 million industry way back then. And today it'll be, you know, hundred plus billion, um, industry. Mm. And so it's sometimes it's luck too, right? You know, was that luck? Sure. I'm sure it was that I got in right at the right time where this thing was about to take off like a rocket ship. And, um, and so that, that's, you know, my story is I've been, that's basically the only job I ever have done. You know, I've done it for 20 years. So did that small company that Steve started did that become impact that became uh it was a company called game plan and uh they got bought by a, a the largest insurance company in the world on the day on the right day it's called alliance and game plan was uh, acquired by alliance in 2005 and so basically i started off as just an entry-level sales guy worked my way up to the sales team then became the number one sales guy and then when Steve sold uh, Game Plan to Allianz, then I got promoted to run the sales team. And then two or three years later, I got promoted to be the president, co-president of the company. And so then I was, uh, I think I was co-president for about three years. And, you know, I was making more money than I'd ever made than I would have ever imagined that I would have made. But I was as unhappy as I'd ever been. And, um, for what, for, for what reason, you know, there, there's a lot of, when you go from like this little small company, really no different. I mean, you know, you guys are a team of three. Now we were a team of, I was number six. Yeah. Right. So it's like this little tiny thing with great people that, um, that entrepreneurial spirit is there and, and you're focused on growing. And then when you get acquired by a huge insurance company, that's on, you know, big German insurance company, then, um, 
it's just it, things are things change and you you know you basically have a lot of attorneys that are very involved in every decision that's made human re, large human resource departments yeah yeah and so you know you get to a point where you can't the, some of the stuff that we talk about it's uncomfortable to talk about as small business owners no one likes to talk about firing someone but if you can't fire people hmm. You, you all of a sudden are going to wake up in a different culture mm -hmm. than what you grew up in. And so I was in a scenario where I'm the co-president of the company, but really couldn't make any calls that needed to be made without jumping through a million hoops. Yeah. And so I was, you know, cranking out. I mean, we were doing great from sales perspective, which means, you know, you're making a lot of money. But, man, I just, I came home and I, I told Kendra, I was like, and we had, um, gosh, we had a two, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, and a five or six-year-old at the time. And I came home and told her that I was thinking about what you know, starting Impact. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't know what it was going to be called, but starting something. And she's like, "Hey, we're with you. Whatever you want to do, we got your back." Mm -hmm. And so. You know, what more could you ask for from a wife? Because, we, you know, we had a pretty good life. And we were driving the BMW, living in a new house, taking the vacations to Hawaii and Bora Bora and this and that. So from a materialistic standpoint, had everything. But, um, you know, when people say money doesn't buy happiness, I mean, it. that that my story is, is pretty, like, I, it doesn't. Yeah. It buys options. Yeah. And it can buy you great toys and some fun stuff, but man, that internal happiness, you know, money can't it can't touch that. That's success. I think you know everyone talks about success. I think that's exactly what it is. Is that being, you know, the the money can be there or not. It certainly can help, but that internal happiness. If you don't have that, you don't have anything. You're right. And that's you know we uh, did a podcast with a lady the other day. And she told the same story you just told, and she called them the golden handcuffs. She said, I had yeah. the golden handcuffs on, and, and you know, she did the same thing you did. But. That's right. Makes it hard to leave. Yeah. Especially when you have little kids and yeah. a wife, right, and everybody's depending on you. Yep. And, you know, you don't – nothing's guaranteed, man. You can have the best business plan in the world, and – Yeah. That security is uh, quite a facade, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I want to ask you, Zeb, um, what what was driving you throughout your career to start these things up, uh, these businesses or these ideas in that in that tech industry to start these things up and then to sell them and then to restart and then to sell them? Like business to me, of course, this is probably me being simple minded. Is like I'm going to start this business and it's going to be mine for the rest of my life like i'll never sell this thing so like what's the, what's the what is the thought process were you go were you starting these things up with the intention to eventually sell them is that how that works yeah I mean, so the i mean anytime in the tech space you're always trying either you're going to ipo or you're going to sell and um i was fortunate enough to here in atlanta uh work for a company called internet security systems and you know got to watch watch it grow um, I mean, we went from Atlanta to worldwide and then we sold IBM and, um, 
when that happened, I got really close to a gentleman by the name of Chris Klaus, who started Internet Security Systems. I'm like, I'm going to sit down with this guy, and I'm going to learn as much as I can. And, and he, Zeb, so how, what did the Internet Security Systems sell for? Uh, $1.2 billion. Yeah. Dang. I mean, you're talking Crap. <laughs> yeah, big and, money. And he started it, and... Um, and in life, I've, I've been blessed. God has just put people in my life. And he's someone that I'll never forget when I met him. I was like, I want to know your story. Like, how did you create this? And what, was, what, what did you always want to do? He always he came up with an idea, but he knew he wasn't a salesperson. So he went out and hired this guy named Tom Noonan. And Tom Noonan is literally the best business mentor that I can ever, and a leader that I can say that I sat down with and watched him lead a company. And I said, I was, I want to be that guy. If I ever get the opportunity, I want to be 50% Tom Noonan, 50% Chris Klaus. And if I ever get that opportunity and I'll never get Tom Noonan and Steven allowed the company culture to change. And I was able to take what I learned from Tom Noonan which is we had green couches, we wore jeans, T-shirts, we had free Coke, and it's like what you would see in any tech. But he had a way That's of... That's Coca-Cola. Yeah, yeah, definitely <laughs> Coca-Cola, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just wanted to have that experience. So anytime I had an opportunity to go and start something with someone or, or a friend, I just did it. And I'll never forget this, but it's kind of like when, the, when I... The last company that I sold with the group of guys, and I was going to do another security startup. And the guy that I was going to do it with, um, I knew I would have made money, but I wouldn't have been happy. And in my mind, I wanted to do something completely different. And that's where the cooking husband came in. Cause I was going to do, I have a, I have a blog site called the cooking husband and I, cause I like to cook, but I wanted to create a, a way for us us guys to get what we want in life sometimes with the women. Yeah. You know? And so I was going to pursue that. And that's how I consulted with Steve. I was like, man, I have this opportunity. I could probably sell this and make this a global name, The Cooking Husband. But, and then I had this other security startup thing. And then when I met Steven, it was lights out. And even this, I told Steve, like, we'll sell this business. I mean, I'll never forget. I was like, we will sell this business. Huh. And we did. See, that's a whole nother mindset, and it's it's it's. Yeah, this why so this conversation is so interesting to me because that's a whole nother mindset on business, and I think it's a it's a great thing for me to learn because it puts me in the mindset to where I say, well, maybe I should pay a little more attention to the opportunities that I run into, right? Because you know. We're in the mix, man. We yeah. we're we're all over the place. You you guys are too, mm-hmm. and you run into the right people that have a good idea, and ask you to maybe contribute in some way, shape, or form. Maybe that's not a bad idea. Sometimes is that right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a it's a whole other mindset yeah. for me because yeah, this is brand brand new. You got anything, Blake? I don't mean to talk no ear no. off. Um, he said he's soaking this all in. That's yeah, right. yeah. He's um, thinking about the next million dollar idea right there. I can see it. <laughs> well, for us, you know, the our, our business is so intertwined with who we are. 
I guess that's the reason I've, you know, it's not really something that, that can be sold, at least not where it is now. You know what I mean? Because it has to be us. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, it's it's different. So when you guys met up, oh, you're, you're the president of this other company. You decide to branch off with Steve, start this other thing. You met Zebs. You guys, how big is y'all's team when y'all decide to branch off? And start Impact. How, how many y'all start with? Uh, when we started Impact, there was um, six of us. Six. Yeah. Okay. Now, how does that work? Is like, is there like one person that does everyone own a different percentage? Yeah. And is that according to how much that capital they can contribute on the front end, or how does that work? Well, that that certainly could be a way. The the way we did it um, was. I went to Steve and said, and Steve had told me, he and I had remained friends after he'd sold the company to Allianz and, and um, you know, he, I think this was six years later. But I always knew because he told me that he put some money aside to one day do something again. He didn't know what it was going to be. And um, and he was started his hands church that Thomas was talking about. So right when he sold the company, he basically started – started that church and just jumped right in. Now, was he a pastor? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, for his hands. I don't think he was before, Mm -hmm. but he he built his own church and became pastor of that church. That's really cool, man. And and so I met with him at a a restaurant just right across the street from actually where our office is now, and and, uh, I said, you know, that you still got that money that you talked about putting aside and – he said, yeah. And um, and I said, well, if you'll fund it, then I'll run it. And he said there was one condition. He wanted his son and his daughter to both be able to participate. And so awesome because, uh, you know, they both bring a, a certain skill set. His son was an IT guy, and you got to have that. And uh, his daughter was or- very organized. And, you, you know, for a bunch of sales guys, you better have somebody that's organized. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, that was, that was how we started it. Just a little core group. And, and then, um, each person, you know, basically, uh, another thing that is, I think just true in business is the, the, the guy that has the money makes the rules. So if you're going to let someone borrow 1.2, 1.4 million, whatever it was we borrowed, then, you know, you're, you, you should be able to, to kind of make the rules. Yeah. Um, even though, you know, in my case, I mean, my risk was I was walking away from, you know, a huge income. That's right. Yeah. Right. And so I, I didn't put any money in, um, but I I did take a huge leap of faith. You had some skin in the game. Certainly. Yeah. Which is why I should have had equity and why I did have equity. Yeah. Um, but the the way we did it was Steve was the the biggest shareholder. I was the next biggest shareholder, and then the next the next group of guys all were about the same. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we did it. But I think everybody does it probably a little differently. Were you in that original six? Nope. Zeb. Nope. So where did you come into this? A year and one month later, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I came in just um, kind of like Stephen did back in his his other. The old job. Yeah. I came at the bottom level and told Steven, I 
like I said during my interview, I don't want to manage. I just want to come in, work, and go home. That was it. And Thomas is the only guy that basically, you know, when you've given away 100% of your shares, there's no more shares to be given yeah. unless you want to dilute yourself. Yeah. And Thomas was the only guy that had that wasn't a part of that original core group that um, that we ended up all diluting ourselves and, and giving him equity. Okay. And so were you working on the blog at that time? The cooking husband, and is that the reason? Why? Yeah. So you you said I just want to come in. I don't want to manage. Why yeah. were you? What? Why were you? Were you searching for that for some? Because you've been yeah the been, one hard charging, leading startups, all this. What? Why at this time in your life were you like I just want to work, don't manage? Yeah, I wanted to have the least amount of responsibility as possible. What the heck was going on, man? And I just wanted to re be responsible for me. Yeah, and my numbers, and that was it. Yeah, and. Because, you know, whenever you do startups, you wear multiple hats. And That's right. You're pitching, uh, you're selling, and I just wanted a break. So like, you literally. were just ready for a break? Yeah. I just wanted to go and sell. Okay. I really told Steve Craig, I'm like, I just want to sell. And I remember being in, I was in New York. Uh, we were pitching uh, VC. And I remember texting Odom and uh, Steve Craig a picture of annuities for dummies. I, I, I didn't want to start the job not knowing what I was going to do. <laughs> so I read that book. Now, now I look back on it like, that was stupid. But, <laughs> but I did it anyways. Because this is a whole new industry for you. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So, but what you're bringing to the table is the ability to sell? Yeah, to, I would to, say. Like, yeah. I, just sold, I just worked. Yeah. Really okay. what he brought was, was more the ability to, to lead than even sell. When at what point did you see that? Because like you said, you guys eventually made the decision to get day, set day some one. day one, really. Yeah. yeah. There's certain people that come through your path that are just a little different. And you know, we um I mean between the two companies, we had interviewed six or seven hundred people probably, maybe more, who knows, um, between the two companies. And so, you know, when you have done that so many times, you get to, you get kind of just pick up on things on people pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And with, I mean, the Thomas is a very unique guy. He's, he's wired. You, everybody should have a Thomas on their team because they're just uniquely wired in a way that most people just are not, where you don't have to ask them to do something they're already thinking about what they need to do. They think like an owner. Well, you, know, you, nice. may, you have a, an, an employee that thinks like an owner. Yeah. And when you find that person, man, you gotta, you, you gotta make sure that it, that's gold, mm -hmm. right? That's gold mm -hmm. in business and they're, they're unicorns, but they're out there. And that goes back to what you said right off the bat. The one of the most, the most important ingredient in your opinion is getting the right people on the team. So, being in the being ready when you see a Thomas come through the door, being ready to make that move and don't don't freaking waste time. Like sounds like you got right on it. Yep. Like once you knew he was the guy, you guys made it worth his while. And yeah, I mean, especially after, I mean, he proved himself. You know, from a sales perspective. Yeah, and in a sales company, I mean, that's that's what matters, right? Um, but those intangibles. So there, there's one thing. The scoreboard don't lie, right? In sales, 
is very simple to look up at the scoreboard. You either are selling or you're not selling. And, you know, huh. and at our company, we make it, I mean, it's very apparent, you know, on the, the, the scoreboard. And, um, but it's all those other things, you know, cause you can have a great salesperson, but someone that they can't manage, you know, that, yeah. and a lot of people make that mistake where they take the number one sales guy and then they make him the manager. And now you've just basically ruined him and your team. Mm. And I'm sure you saw that on the seals. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could have the, and I don't know the right terminology, but the, the, the Rambo, right, isn't necessarily the guy that's yeah. in the, the headquarters. The best, yeah, the best sniper is not necessarily yeah. going to make the best platoon chief. Exactly. Yeah. But in, in a sales organization, a lot of times people make that mistake where they just, they feel like, man, what's next? You know, he's the number one sales guy or she's the number one sales girl. What's next for that person? And so then you just make them the manager. Oh, okay. And then trouble. But in Thomas's case, um, you know, he had all those other intangibles. And, and so it was, a, you know, man, when you get those no-brainers in business, take them. You better jump. Take them. Because they don't come along often. Wow. And and when they do, you just you, you gotta you can't miss those those opportunities. And you that's one of the things I've learned in interviews. I did an interview this morning. We're actually we're trying we're trying right now in the process of trying to hire ten people. And um it's so hard, you know, because we talk about really taking that time and being patient and and um getting the right people. But when you're trying to hire so many people, it's just really hard to do, and you just want to throw them, throw the, you know, just get bodies and put them in there, so and just keep moving. Um, but you got to really, you got to really focus in on that. And when you find, when you're doing those interviews, and you and you you know that man, this person is like legit. Like I always ask three questions on a scale of one to ten: How positive are you? Ten being the most, one being the least. How coachable are you? And how hardworking, right? So those are the three. And what do you guys want to guess? Just about everybody in the world says. Ten on everything. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. at a minimum an eight, Yeah, right? Um, every, I think twice in in like 15 years of hiring, twice someone's like, oh, I'm a six. I'm a positive guy. <laughs> I'm like, well, man, you are the most honest person <laughs> that yeah. I've ever interviewed. Yeah. Because, you know, most people are not 8s, 9s, or 10s on the positive scale. They're not 8, 9s, or 10s on the coachable scale. And they're not 8, 9s, or 10s on the hardworking scale. Um, but every once in a while, that person comes along that that says, I'm a 10, and I'm a 10, and I'm a 10. And, and you're like, you you probably are. Mm. I believe in 10s. I know that there are 10s. We've got them on our team. Yeah. And a lot of people say, well, I'm a realist. And so 10s not, you know. Eight's about as high as as you could go because I'm a realist, <laughs> and you know it's it's fun. I mean that part it keeps it interesting, right? It's the people part of the business that keeps it keeps it interesting and fun. Yeah, yeah. Now Zeb, I, I'm interested. You you're coming in and you're like, hey guys, I'm ready for a freaking break. I just want to sell. I want to, and I don't want to manage. I want to do my thing. When I'm done, I want to be able to go home and chill. How did they convince you to take on the amount of responsibility that you took on? Because that's a big shift. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking back on it. I don't. 
I think it was me taking Stephen Odom to a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> We've been to a lot of Mexican restaurants. <laughs> yeah, we, which, yeah. which time was this? Um, I was in sales for maybe three months, and there was some change and some roles. And I was the only one, the only troop that would be honest to Stephen. And so I was like, Mr. O, do you mind if I, you know. Hold on. You called him Mr. O? 100%. I still call him Mr. O. Yeah. yeah. Dang. It's that military thing, man. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, Mr. O, can I take you to lunch? And he's like, sure. And we sat down. I was like, listen. Uh, hold on. You ask Mr. O if you can take him to lunch, the answer is going to be sure. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I should have said cheap Mexican. Because <laughs> I'm paying. <laughs> Because I'm cheap. <laughs> I didn't mean uh, to interrupt you. But. No, don't worry. Yeah. So um, I, I remember looking at him and saying, look, no one's going to come and tell you this, but the troops are not happy. And I just gave him all the, here's why they're not happy. Here, And then he looked at me. I'll never forget. He's like, well, it sounds like you need to fix it. And I kind of was taken back by that. And he's like, well, what would you do to fix it? And that's the rest is history. Like, literally. So he let me fix it, and I just went and fixed it. So you kind of stepped into that management role just because it, you just couldn't stand it, man. I just wanted people happy and working, yeah. and working hard. And I didn't want, you know, I didn't want anyone coming to work and being like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, the environment is fun. Yeah, but it wasn't, you were, it, no skin off your back. Dude, you just wanted to sell. Yeah, I know. You know? But I, I, I knew I could fix it. So I wanted to fix it, but I didn't think I would be in freaking management when that happened. <laughs> and then, and I'll never forget coming home and I told my wife, I was like, Jen, I took Mr. Odin to lunch. And she goes, how did that work out? It's like, well, I told him about some things. It's just, well, did you tell me you want to be a manager now? And I was like, no. She's like, well, you're going to be. And I think it was a couple of weeks later, you were like, you're going to run the sales team. I was like, dang it. But now I'm, I'm so glad I did. And so has that been is has that been your position at Impact as sales team manager? Yeah, Cuz you much. guys work I mean you guys work very closely. Oh yeah. So like what's y'all's relationship look like? I mean cuz every time I see you guys you're you're in you're side by side, man. Yeah. I mean Odom Yeah, I mean yeah. how do y'all how do y'all interact with each other? In that is it that same way like that meeting at the Mexican restaurant that day or like because y'all are tight, man. Yeah, it's it, it's definitely evolved to um, now. I mean, it's just more like yeah, just it would be no different than you two. Yeah, you know, like we're just just brothers. And I, although I have the CEO title, I don't I don't think of it as that. I mean, we're we're partners, mm -hmm. and so if Thomas wants to do something, I don't really even. I mean, maybe I give it a, you know, if he really wants me to think through something, then of course I will. But otherwise, it's like, go, man. I love that. Go. Like I'm still and, chain of command. And so I will still. Oh, yeah, he is. I will still come to Mr. O and say, hey, like there's a thing, that a decision I wanted to make. But before I make that decision, I want to make sure Mr. O is okay with it. Yeah. yeah. So, and is this the right thing to do? And if you don't, 100%. if, you know, if one, somebody's listening to this, and they don't have that skill set, it's one that they should really, no matter what people will say, anyone in my position is really, really going to appreciate that. 
you know? Yeah. And it makes you give them even more. It, it earns you even more trust. Yep. And so, you know, be that. If you're the number two person or number three person, you know, you're working for somebody, man, give them, give them what we're talking about. And all of a sudden you're going to find yourself leveling up. You know, you're going to find yourself leveling up by just uh, being respectful, the chain of command. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you earn, when you earn that, that extra rope, you know, never taking it for granted. Yeah. And I don't know. I think people, uh, it just makes you really trust somebody. When you trust them, man, mm-hmm. you got the keys to the kingdom. That's it. Well, I, and I don't know why it's so hard for civilians or maybe specifically just kind of this generation of people. to they They cannot grasp what chain of command is and how important it is. It's like I, we, we, we have to teach this to our students uh, on the, the missions that we run. And it's like it's ne- they never think about it on their own. Never. We're like, we're about to go on a freaking mission. We've got a job to do. We've got objectives to reach. We've got hard stuff between us and our objective. Oh, well, they, they never think to establish a chain of command right off the bat. It's mind-boggling to me. It's just like the single one of the single most important parts of a team is having that chain of command established and then understanding how to use it. Mm-hmm. They just don't freaking get it, man. Yep. <sighs> oh, well, and you guys, I mean, y'all grew up in that, and even you, Blake, as a as a police officer, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, like that's just what y'all do, and and it works hundred yeah, percent. But you don't learn that in college, right? No. I mean, you don't learn that in algebra two and trigonometry. Yeah. Trigo what? I don't know. <laughs> don't ask me to spell it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's a huge part of business. So you guys, you guys got impact rolling, obviously pretty quick. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. What, I mean, what were some of the, what were some of the challenges that you faced kind of right off the bat? Other than getting the right people on board, were there any other things that stood out to you guys in those first few years as you're experiencing all this growth? And I'm sure the money's getting real, the, t- the commitments are getting real, the deals are getting real, and it's, a, it's just piling on. Yeah. What got you through that, man? Yeah. Oh, man. You know, everybody's, every business is so different, right? And ours is like this little niche business. Um, But we had, you know, we had a couple of big barriers right out of the gates. Number one is we, the company that we were talking about earlier, you know, I worked for, for uh, game plan, which is owned by Allianz and Allianz is the biggest in the space and what we do. And so we just kind of thought that we would just go and sell Allianz. But when I went and I flipped to Minneapolis and I resigned, I was the youngest president of all their holy owns. And our company was about 25% of their overall business. So we were the biggest. We were the fastest growing. We were the most profitable. 
and I was the youngest president. And then I go up and resign. Mm. They didn't like that. They didn't like that. And I never in my mind thought that that was even going to be an option for them to say, no, we're not going to give you a contract. So I never even dreamed that 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 was going to be part of the conversation. Um, and I, I the, the CEO at the time, I sat in his office, and he's a tough, tough CEO, very smart. Um, he said, you know I can't do that. And, I, and it was basically when I was asking for a contract. to, And I'm like, well, why? And I, in my mind, I replay it, and I feel like he said, well, you know why. I feel like he said that like 10 times, and I feel like I said it was saying, well, I don't know why because I really – it caught me off guard. I, I really was surprised that they weren't going to help us because we just wanted to sell their product. You know, they weren't going to own us, but we still just wanted to sell their product. And um, so – to get to your question, they they didn't give us a contract, and it would be like, you know, trying to sell. Um, it'd be like trying to sell running shoes, but in a in a store, but not having Nike. Mm. So yeah, I mean, you can sell some Pumas, but <laughs> it'd be helpful to have some Nikes I in there. Yeah, right. Yeah, and so. That was a huge obstacle for us is we then had to, because, you know, it's a rela- all business is relationships, and all of our relationships were with this one company. So that's when your reputation matters because now you you don't have that relationship, but you still have your reputation. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, we had a pretty good reputation with some other insurance companies. Even though we didn't know them, we didn't do business, they knew us. And uh, and so they gave us contracts and allowed us to to have something to sell, and um, and so that was that was always hard. Competitors are tough, man. You know, competitors um, they do what they can to to try to beat you down too, and we we certainly had some of that. And so I think just you know navigating that's all business though. Everybody in in whatever business you're in, you're going to have those things. Yeah. Um, but always the hardest part is, is just the people part. Yeah. It's trying to make sure that you got the right people on the bus and that, that they're happy and that they're giving you, you know, everything that, that you, that they tell you they're going to give you when you interview them. To me, that was always, and is always the hardest part of, of business because when you got a great product. You know, there's plenty of people out there that want to buy it. You just you got to have the right people on the bus to 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 get it out to the world. What would you say, Dubs? Hundred percent. A company is not a company without the people. Well, you know, it, but I would say too, though, that there's there's a part of me that thinks, first of all, it took a lot of courage for Stephen Odom <laughs> to go up to, you know, that company that you were working for. What was it called again? That was uh, Allianz. Allianz. Took a lot of courage for you to go in there and say, I'm resigning. Yeah. Like, that would be a hard conversation to have. Yep. And then they get pissed, and then you're depending, you're, you're, the whole time you're thinking, oh, heck, this is awesome. This is, well, I'm going to get Nike in my new shoe store over here yep. that I'm opening. And then they say, no, nah, bud, 
Like that could have been devastating, <laughs> yeah. dude. Yeah. And but, then, but you fell back on your reputation. Essentially, yep. you were like, okay, now I'm gonna have to just depend on my reputation, who people know that I am, and that was enough. Thankfully, yeah. And it was crazy because, like, we didn't like those other companies. You know, like th those we sold against them for. I mean, I was there for ten years, and we sold against those other companies, and. Now, all of a sudden, like, it felt so weird. Yeah. Like, waking up, and all of a sudden, I'm fighting for mm -hmm. for these people that I've been fighting against for all these years. It's just wild. But then, man, you know, I'm so thankful for it because cause it, it opened up my whole world to, like, this whole other world. Mm -hmm. You know, like, all I knew was this. But, man, there's this whole other world out there. And all these great relationships and now lifelong friends that I would have never met had that been the path. But, you know, the awesome thing is it took 10 years, but this past year we got the Allianz contract. Did you really? really? We sure did. It took 10 years. Huh. It took nine years. Wow. Nine years. Man, I didn't know that. Well, I didn't know any of this story. So, so yeah. were you building or, or were you working – Building impact at the same time you were working for Allianz for a period of time, or was no. it no? Okay, nope. So when I, I resigned cut. on April fifteenth, it's easy to remember because tax day, <laughs> two thousand eleven. Don't talk to us about taxes. <laughs> I know. Well, <laughs> I hear you love them. No. Oh yeah. I want to. I want to ask. I just want to ask you guys that because, you know, again, you're six. You're successful businessmen. All right. I'm a two year old businessman, <laughs> and. I got hit with a, my first tax bill. Um, it sucks, don't it? Look, man. Look, it, I, this is how I feel. I feel like my government is handing me a a sandwich, a crap sandwich. It's a, literally a turd smashed between two pieces of white bread, and they're saying, they're saying, here, eat this. It's gonna be good. And I'm saying, no. It's crap. I know it's going to taste like crap because it is crap. But the, but they're saying, no, it's going to taste good. And then they take the, the portion that the turd's not in. They take the white bread, <laughs> take the good stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. But it, anyways, you just have to eat the crap sandwich. You yeah. know it's going to taste like crap. They're telling you, oh, this is necessary. This is the only way this nation can function i that's bull crap first of all you know how tax income tax started during the civil war the union imposed an income tax on the northern states to pay for their war they just never stopped doing it by the way the civil war should not be called the civil war the civil war should be called the second american revolution in my opinion but that's how income tax started and then it just it's the crap sandwich how do y'all freaking, how have y'all kept your sanity dealing with, what? what is your know. mindset strategy to keep your sanity dealing with that crap? It's funny, we were just talking about this a couple of weeks ago, remember? Yeah. I mean, help me, Man. please help me. You're just going to complain about it forever. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, the, the question is, when I talk about your fair share, you know, what, what really is, what's fair is 
if you go to work and you work for 10 hours a day, you know, what's fair that you give back to the government and what's fair that you should, how many of those hours should you be able to bring home income to your family? Right. And I mean, you know, in Georgia, you're at 39.6, I think, or somewhere in that ballpark um, of what uh, Joe's uh, proposing. And then you've got another, what, 6% for state. So just call it, you're at 46%. You're working six months out of the year for free for the government. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so what, is is that fair? I mean, what's fair? I, I don't know. I just... I guess this is the way I look at it, Chad. I we're blessed to be able to have that problem. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so just pay it and Is that what's got you through it? Yeah. Yeah. And just complain about There's, it to someone that you can complain about it to. Yeah. My wife complains <laughs> about it. Because she's the one that writes the check or I guess now sends the wire, however it's done, but she's like, I can't believe. Like, this is criminal <laughs> i paid more in tax this year than the u.s navy paid me than i brought home in one year as a u.s navy seal putting my life on the line it's yeah it it is it's a it is a freaking dog turd sandwich son yeah. i don't even know if you could call it that i might would rather eat a dog turd sandwich <laughs> <laughs> probably would hey next year oh I'm going to definitely talk about the turd (laughs) when I talk about our taxes. I know, but you just got to look at it like a blessing, man. I I think that is the the only way that you can look at it. Yeah. Is say, you know what? If I pay, if I have to pay a lot of tax this year, that means the business has done well. Yep. And, And it doesn't mean that it's not state funded robbery. Because that's what it is. You're being robbed. You literally are being robbed. Um, it doesn't mean that it's not that, but to get through it, in order to just get through it and maintain your sanity, I think that's the essential mindset of it. Yeah. That and we live in a great country, America. We're yeah. Gonna, we just have to do it. Well, we don't have to do it. <laughs> well, we do, or else Uncle Sam's going to come. Well, on top of that, all the time you have to spend doing things the way that they want to do it, and they don't even tell you how they want you to do it. <laughs> the tax code is fi- some complicated figure out stuff, how to man. pay it, yeah. The tax code yeah. is some complicating uh, stuff. Are you going to run off that Biden gun? Oh, man. I should. You should. I I actually bought that with my personal money. I, That's I, a business expense. Let me tell you how I run my business. Don't put too much out here. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I work... I, I work at 307 Project because it's what I love to do. And I love when we make money just so I can deposit it into a business account, bank account. Because, like, one day I want 307 Project to own a church building. I want 307 Project to own 100 acres of property. I Like, I have all these visions that I know I have to, I'm just, we're just, all the money we make, we just stack it up. I mean, Blake gets a small salary for him him and his family. But we just try, well, we were trying to stack it up, and it got stacked way down. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
It's like when you build the house and somebody comes by and kicks the bottom. Oh. And kicks the bottom. Oh, the whole the side board. of the house fell over. Yeah. But like, that was my thing. I was like, man, uh, we, we've actually got, we, uh, and, and guys, I'm not talking about huge numbers here. You know, I'm, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars max, you know, before taxes. And then I'm like, man, we, we could actually start looking at buying a piece of property now. Then the whole side of the house collapsed. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what drives, the mission drives me in business. Like I have to be mission driven in business. If I was driven by the money, and you guys I know are the same way. Yeah. If the money was really, and that's another way to look at this whole tax situation. The, the money's not driving me. It, it ha, we ha, you have to have a certain amount of it to you know pay your team members and keep everybody on board but in all reality it's not what's driving me man and if it was I would have quit sometime last year listen this this podcast ain't about us but this is how I figure Chad you know, a hunting dog y'all been around some hunting dogs mm-hmm. he knows how to hunt real good Chad's done some coon hunting and the dog knows how to hunt. But the handler figures out all the, how to get the dog there, gas in the truck, takes care of all the other stuff. So that's how I view our relationship. I just keep Chad sheltered from all that I can, <laughs> and I just like to get him to the hunting land yep. and turn him loose and let him hunt. He brings me right there to the creek where the coons are at. Yep. yep. He turns me loose, son, and I'm hey. going to win. I'm going to win the hunt. That's hey, how know, I view know it. your role. That's That's one of those... <laughs> fundamentals in business know your role <laughs> sounds like you know yours <laughs> sounds like you know yours well odom i i really and, and zeb i really appreciate your zeb you're you giving me permission to complain about being robbed <laughs> Stephen odom i give i thank you for your insight on how to maintain my sanity yeah man anytime so i mean it's wonderful wonderful yeah. um uh all right all right for all the listeners I know we sidetracked there. Maybe y'all got something out of this. Maybe you didn't. Um, I'm going to stop talking about taxes. Look, one thing that y'all do really well is, uh, and you hit on it just a little bit ago, is relationships, man. That's one thing that you guys do super well. And I'll give you, the listeners, a few examples. Me, Odom, and Zeb. We've been duck hunting together. They took me duck hunting, right? So they hired me to come and speak at one of their events. And as part of that, they took me on a duck hunt, which was more valuable to me than the the money. I mean, it's a lifelong memory. It was my first duck hunt, man. I mean, it was awesome. Um, the events you guys have with your leadership teams up in North Georgia, special small small group leadership team you're pouring into them no expense spared you're you're all open you're look the the events that you guys go to 29029 for instance that's all relation relational things um and it's it really blows me away how much you guys pour into that relational aspect of business because here's the thing you can, I think you can look at it two different, like you can try to look at it and say, well, business is business. And I've tried to do that before. Like when a decision has to be made, like, hey man, this is just business. You know, you go have that hard conversation with somebody, this is just business. 
Well, in all reality, it's really not ever just business. So why do you guys stress that relational aspect so hard and you, you actually invest a large amount of capital into that portion of your team? So what's up with that, man? And how did you how did that happen? I mean, it's just how Mr. O and I met. You know, it was a relationship. And if you pour into a relationship, the relationship's only going to get stronger. Just like... You know, I'll never forget Steve and I were hunting. I took him duck hunting for the first time. And uh, do you remember what we said when we walked back in? Man, Chad would love this. And yep. so we asked a favor from another friend of ours uh, who's a, a – we're, we're clients. And we're like, we have a friend of ours. And that's when we called you. Yep. And that life is all about relationships, you know. Um your teammates, you got to pour into them. What better way to pour into someone than showing that you're you're pouring into them with money, you know, investing in them. Yeah, yeah. And so not only do we invest in our teammates, we invest in our clients. So, you know, we're doing 29029 in, um, in Idaho, and we have 40, 40 people. Half are going to be our teammates, and half are going to be our clients. Cost, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, man. I mean, that's really what it's about. You realize how few people will do that, though? Like how few businesses do that, and y- yeah. y'all are going to be at the events, right? Yeah, no, they're absolutely. at the events. Yeah, and that, that I mean, to me, that is more important than saying, "Hey, we've paid for this event. You know, y'all go do it." But you're actually there to do it with them. Oh yeah, it that to me that that's the real investment. Definitely, yeah. It's a that time investment is way more important. Sometimes you got you got to make a money investment, oh, yeah. right, in yeah. order to have a time that's investment. Right. Oftentimes. Um, I'm, there's ways around that. If, if you don't, you know, if you're just starting out, yep. um, you can figure out ways to, to do things that aren't that expensive. Um, and then as you grow, you know, you got to pour into it. But to me, it's just, it's all about, that's what's fun. And, and so, you know, business, it, business by itself is, is not that fun. It's the relationships that make mm-hmm. it fun. And so if you don't maximize the things that can be fun, then I don't know how long you can last in, in that business, you know, unless you just have this crazy grind in your personality. Um, I don't know how, you know, how you can do, do something. If you're going to do it, you might as well enjoy it. Let's uh-huh. put it that way. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the relationship part of it, getting to know people. And you just learn so much from people. You know, I mean, we've, I've learned a tremendous amount from you in, in the couple of times that we've hired you, you know, the, the sheepdog. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times I've used that story with countless people outside of my business. Um, I got, I got to tell that story real quick. Man, please quick. do. So Odom. The, the again he he bought the t-shirts from us all right and i and Blake and i are just so blown away that that happened we we got the t-shirts in and i brought them to impact and i and i told Odom i said hey man you know i'd love to stand up and talk to your team for 10 or 15 minutes you know and he said man yeah that'd be awesome we'll see Back then, I didn't know that uh, the whole speaking thing was a thing, you know? 
So I'm like, heck yeah, man. I get to talk to these guys and girls and thank them. And I got up there and did that. And I got ready to go. And uh, I was going down the ho- going down the uh, elevator. And Odom slipped me a little card. I said, oh, I thought it was just a thank you letter or something. I opened that thing up. It had a $500 gift card in it. I thought, holy smokes, man, this is awesome. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about, man. These guys are first class. You guys are first class all the way. You go above. You literally go, like, way over the expectations. Anybody you deal with, at least that's been my experience, anybody you come in contact with, If there are any expectations, you're going to freaking just shatter them, dude. It's, it is inspiring to me. Well, and they, these are sharp businessmen. They knew we didn't know nothing about it. And they knew that you would have left there satisfied for the opportunity to get up there and share with their team. So they could have left it at that. It's not like you were about to leave it wishing you had got some money or anything, yeah, yeah. It, and everything would have been fine, but that is like the next le- the next level, you know. I, Chad called me on the way home. He's like, "These jokers just give me five hundred dollars," and they said it was for gas money. <laughs> he was like, "Man, I, you know, it only took me like an hour to get down here." And uh, well, I never would have dreamed he was driving a, a Toyota. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I figured he'd be out in like some a Ford. some gas guzzler. <laughs> but I'm gonna tell you, man, it's just you guys have consistently shattered any expectations. Yep. You've been ge- so generous be- beyond any expectation, and you, by you guys doing that for me, it was you were actually mentoring me. You were showing me that. I had some value to bring to the table. Like y'all, y'all, did, do y'all understand that you were mentoring me in that way? I love that. If you would not have done, you helped me recognize that, man, this this might be something that I can do that's going to help other people. And if you wouldn't have done that, and I would have just walked out of there, I, heck yeah, I would have been happy. But j- just for the opportunity, yep. but I might have never took the next step and said maybe maybe I should hone this in. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a a byproduct of you guys shattering the the expectations, although there were none. Was you were actually mentoring me in the process. So I don't know those things. I'll be telling that that story when I'm eighty years old, man. <laughs> You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think one of the other things that is just a good lesson in life is when I called you uh, for that senior leadership get-together. Yeah. Right? Because you were kind of talking about the... Um, Taking them out on the basic course. The basic course. And, you know, it would have been very simple for me to just say, okay, and do something that I really didn't want to do. Um, or just say, man, I'm, you know, we're going to pass, we're, we're going to do something else. But, you know, if, if, if there's somebody out there like a Chad Wright in your life that, that you don't really know, just ask them, Hey, here's, here's what I'd like to do. Could we customize something? 
And you were like, absolutely. Let's customize it. And yeah. we created an awesome day. That was a fun day. Except for the freaking gnats. Except for the gnats. <laughs> the freaking gnats. But yeah, they were rough, weren't they? There's and then Chad's just acting like he's, you know, you and I are like, oh, he didn't even, <laughs> he didn't, yeah, I'm like that freaking a million gnats. <laughs> a, a billion Oh, nats. yeah. We're and like, not once did Chad even do this. <laughs> and we're over there going, I like had the windshield wiper. Yeah. Oh, they were rough, son. So rough, but. But it's just a good lesson in, like, you know, just if, if there's somebody out there that that you want to spend some time with, man, what's the – ask them. Yeah. And it works both ways, too, because not only did that – was that an awesome day and uh, a great opportunity for us to spend time with each other and, you know, me be able to share with your team my lessons learned. But, um, but it again, it worked both ways because even in that scenario – so I had a product that I could offer you that I believe in, which is the basic course. I had an experience that I believe in that I believe would have would have freaking nailed it. But that for me, that was the easy thing because it was the the curriculum's there. It's yeah. in place, and like all I need is the bodies, right? And so by us by you doing exactly what you just said, it allowed me to grow as an instructor, right? Because now I've got to I've got to become innovative i've got to start thinking of like man what can we what can we do so it stretched me as a, a an inst- i call my an instructor or a, i guess essentially a business owner so it was beneficial both ways the way that that ended up playing out yeah and it's I, really cool i think on our end it it kind of teaches us that like how you pitch things right like if you're asking for that we shouldn't have just said yeah let's take them on a basic course we i mean we could have said hey we have this basic course but we understand what's required in this, and it's not for everybody. If you would like us to cuss, you know, we could have yeah. prefaced it on the front end of that. And then also, you know, for me personally, I mean, I, a lot of times I will get focused on just getting something done, like a checklist. Yeah. And I won't take the time to enjoy the opportunity or the relationship there. So, you know, I, I've heard you say it a bunch of times, and what what I hear you saying is like, like everything's an opportunity, like, it is each yep. situation you got like what's the opportunity here well that's instead, instead you, of just getting it done you guys talk about being present yeah right that's what that's really what you're talking about that's, yeah that's it just really trying to be present in every moment yeah and, and there's there's opportunities everywhere and in everything but if you're not being present yeah you may miss it that's it you know? yeah but don't be afraid to ask i mean yeah. that's the thing that was the mountain that's the first if i would not have been proactive and I already had a plan in my mind of like how to get some time with you. You know, we would not be, we there, you know, gosh, we've done so many trips since then. Yeah. yeah. You know, our, our, the, the old butterfly effect, man. It's like yeah. everything you do matters and it matters forever. And I'll never forget everything. him. I'll never forget Odom telling me when we were sitting there, you're like, I'm going to hike with that guy. I'll never yeah. forget it. And now look where, I mean, it's, you're going to speak at our company event and, Later this month. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait for that, by the way. That's going to be an awesome deal right there. Um, You know, going back to that relationship aspect, I, I think it's uh, the reason I brought that up is because it's, it's extremely important to me because I saw it happen in the SEAL teams, right? So us, when we were in a platoon, we would work together. 
whatever it was, say we were doing land warfare and, you know, we're out in Fort Chaffee, Arkansas, and we're out on the, you know, in the field training, running IADs and, you know, fire maneuver drills and just, you know, suffering together, but we're working. Well, how we really would mesh as a platoon is when we would go out to dinner or go out to the bar. Now, I'm not advocating going out to the bar, but we didn't have much else to do, right? We're in Fort Chaffee, Arkansas, and we're a SEAL platoon. Like, we went out in town. We went out in town together, and we did things, extracurricular things together. Maybe we got up early and went deer hunting or something like that, you know? And um, that is where the the SEAL platoon would really mesh. It wasn't when you were working together. It was all the extracurricular things that we did together. And it's interesting because the uh, guys will argue this all day long. But traditionally, the East Coast SEAL teams are uh, are more effective operators than the West Coast SEAL teams. And so the way that they explain that is because on the West Coast, it's always sunny. It's always nice. So guys, when they, when they get done working, they go back home and they get their families and they go out on a hike or they, they go you know travel somewhere in Southern California or something like that, right? And they're, they're with their families, right? Well, on the East Coast, the weather's freaking nasty. It gets cold as balls. There ain't nothing else really to do on the East Coast. You can't go surf or swim or the waves suck, right? So East Coast team guys, when they got off of work, they go to the bar together. They go they go out to eat together. You know, they find something to do to get they 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 spend more extracurricular time together, you know, after work. And it's you you really see the difference there. Yeah. So that's an I think the environment plays a big role in that as we look at it in the in the seal seal teams between east and west coast. But I think it's applicable, and I think that's been a uh, that's a probably a main aspect of you guys' success as leaders and businessmen is the fact that you make those investments in those extracurricular activities and relationships. Right? Yeah. That's why you guys are able to be so tight. Let's take a little break. We're going to come back talk a little bit about. Mr. Odom and um, Zeb's testimony. Hey guys, have I told you about my bushcraft necklace from Wazoo Survival Gear? Well, you need to get you one because it's a really sharp piece of gear that you can wear around your neck every day. That's what I do. And it gives you the capabilities to start a fire in any weather condition, in any temperature in any scenario and fire is very important to your survival as a human being if you find yourself in a uh, in a tight spot right we can cook over it we can get warm from it we can purify water over it there's a lot of things that we can do with fire and wazoo survival gear makes products that allow us to have that capability anytime any place anywhere guys tools Tools increase your capability. More capability gives you more options. More options gives you the freedom to choose where you go, where you explore, the things you do. 
That's where Wazoo Survival Gear comes in. It's the perfect melding of form and function that allows you to build a wide variety of tools into your everyday wear. This stuff is awesome, guys. I've been using Wazoo Survival Gear products for well over a year now. Every time we go out on the basic course, um, every time I'm stepping off on a mission, and a lot of their products are just with me day in and day out, like my bushcraft necklace, like my cash cap, uh, just going through regular everyday life. They're an awesome company, 100% made in America, awesome dudes, Dustin and Nick, you've probably heard them, they've done an episode on the 307 podcast. Go, go give them some support, man, at wazoosurvivalgear.com. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. As a matter of fact, I've attached a, a link to their website in the show notes of this episode, a special link for you guys. When you go and place your order with Wazoo, they've given us a pro code that's going to give you 20% off your order. The pro code is the number three of the number seven, all caps. That's the best deal you're going to find on Wazoo Survival Gear products anywhere. They asked me how I wanted to split this up. I could get 10% back on the purchases that you guys made using this pro code and y'all could get 10% off. I said, no, give the customer 20% off. Give the podcast listener 20% off because you guys have rewarded me by showing up and listening to this show. So I want you to have the full discount this company doesn't put their stuff on sale because this stuff is all handmade. And yeah, it's not stuff that goes on sale or, or expires. So it's a great deal. Go check them out, wazoosurvivalgear.com. Follow them on Instagram at wazoosurvivalgear. Thanks a lot, guys. Enough said. Oh, don't be afraid of that mic, man. I got awful far from you there a few times. Did it? Good thing my voice is so sexy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're back, guys. Um, all right, so I, I can't. First of all, thank you guys so much for sharing that the story of that journey with with us. I mean, it. You guys are continuing to pour into us and develop us just by hearing your story and the things that you've done and um how you've overcame and and all all the aspects of what everything we just talked about was awesome awesome for me personally um but i can't let you go without at least hearing uh some about your testimony you guys know 307 is all about body soul and spirit so you know zeb it it was interesting to me you talked about you were driving down the road that day and you saw the church set what did he say again we party on sunday we party on sunday <laughs> And and so was it that day or shortly thereafter you decided to get saved? So when I was in the Air Force, um, I'll never forget it. I was stationed at Biloxi for, for training. And you know what you do when you get a hall pass to go out, out bait, off a of base. I went to a mall of all places. And this is the first time I got saved. And uh, I was by myself and this, this black guy comes up to me. He's like, hey, airman. I don't know how he knew I was, uh, I mean, I'm probably then I was probably 110 pounds. Who knows, you know, that buzz cut, but he, uh, he's like, are you saved? I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, he's like, do you know where you're going to go when you die? Like, I mean, my mom and dad, I mean, they're, they were religious, but I never really paid attention. And so I was like, yeah, I'm assuming I'm going to go to heaven. So he's like, I felt like he was being a sales guy. 
So he's like, I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to take you to church on Sunday. I'm like, okay, good luck getting on our base. So I was like, okay, here's my barracks number. And no joke, I'll never forget it. Knock on the door. It was butt early. I'm in my boxers, open up the door, and it's him. So I'm here to take you to church. So I go to church. I'm the only white guy there. And that church lasted a long time. Yeah. I mean, a long time. And But the music was amazing. And then they did food. And I went there for three weeks. And that's when I really, the first time, like, I truly believed in Jesus. And then, uh, you know how the military is. And I just got busy. and But I always believed in Jesus. And then, um, yeah, my brother died. And I was mad. I was angry. It was the day before my 30th birthday. I just started a business. And I had significant debt. It was $2 million, you know, in debt uh, that I borrowed. And um, I was just angry. And then luckily, my wife, Jen, was on my side. And for some reason, that sign made me realize that, hey, you need to, like, live life. And just come to this church and see what it's all about. And go into that church and... That very first moment when I walked in, it kind of reminded me of a tech. I mean, you've been there. It's, yeah. it's very technology. Like, it kind of looks like a tech. It's very modern, et cetera. And Steve Craig, his message, and it just, I was so relieved. Like, God talked to me that day and told me my brother is fine, and he's in heaven. And I just poured my, I started reading the Bible, and then I did a Jesus 101 class, which Steve Craig taught. Mm-hmm. and um, then he asked me, he is like, have you been saved? I'm like, what do you mean have I been saved? He's like, have you been baptized? Do you believe that Jesus Christ? I'm, yes. And so I'll never forget, he's like, you should get baptized. And so Jen and I both got baptized, and I was one, and she was two, and the the rest is history. And you know, it's it, even my kids to the today, if they were in here, they would tell you that, it's so important to our family, and I we do prayers, you know, during dinner table, during breakfast, during lunch, and then at night I just told my I have a, a seven year old and eleven year old, and we say our prayers at night. It's we got to be thankful, but I I call him daddy, and so I just kind of pour that into my kids, and so it's, it's been an awesome thing. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful, man. Um, and I think that's. I like that Jesus 101 class. I like that. That's pretty cool. I never heard of a uh, a um, congregation or whatever offering something like that. It's so simple. We we say this word, get saved. It's uh, You guys may have heard me say it before, but this is what we're talking about, that you believe that Jesus is king, right? Jesus is your savior, and that he died and was risen from the dead. You believe that, right? And then you get baptized for the remission of your sins. Uh, and then you repent. You turn away from who you were, and you follow him. That's all we're talking about, guys. It's nothing complicating. But, <clears throat> you know, he he, uh, he pulled you in at a moment, I think the right moment, huh? Mm-hmm. Because I was angry. Yeah, yeah. Man angry were you just angry or were you were you 
were you directing that somewhere or no, I was mad at him I and mean, my brother was um 24 years old yeah you know pulmonary aneurysm and he didn't even get to live life so I blamed God and I was just angry gosh that had to have been a heck of a day when you when you <clears throat> when you heard from the Holy Spirit and had some peace about that man oh yeah <laughs> You can't turn back from that, huh? No, thousand pounds lifted off my chest. Gosh, dog, brother, <clears throat> that's a good one, Brian. I appreciate you sharing that with us, Seb. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, that's powerful. What about you, O? I should have gone first. <laughs> End on a high note. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> you, you. There's like, yeah, it's hard to, it, it's hard to even make comment on that. It's like so just Zeb is so clear. Like this is where I was. Yep. Boom. This is what happened. Boom. Yep. Thousand pounds. Look, man, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Everything Thomas just said is scriptural. This is what Jesus wants to happen to you. This is what ha he tells it in such a beautiful yeah. way, man. And having that moment, I, I think mine's more traditional. I would guess. I was uh, in a little country church in Cartersville, Georgia, where my mom uh, grew up, and my grandparents went to this church. And maybe, I don't know, maybe 50 people in there total. And it's still there, Crossroads Baptist Church. And um, the pastor called all of us up. I was probably <clears throat> 8, 9, 10, somewhere in that range. Um, I was just a little kid. And he uh, he said, you know, who wants to get saved? And all of those, I don't know, maybe seven or eight of us little kids that were all up there. And I knew that if I did, I was going to get a little peppermint candy stick because I'd seen them do it before, you know, previously. Yeah. And um, and so that it was my turn. I went up there and, and got saved. And that was... Um, I don't remember being baptized, so I, d I don't know if I actually have been or not. I don't remember it, and I've, I've never asked my parents. Um, so I, I probably should ask my mom on that because I, I don't remember if I was. or I assume I was, but, you know, I, I don't remember it as clearly as you do. Mm -hmm. You know I love to baptize people, right? Do you? Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Ain't nothing better. I'm steady looking for people who need to be baptized. <laughs> He's got one under his belt. You? No. No, I know. But who? I didn't know if he baptized oh, no, you. Uh, no. Oh, gotcha. No. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be up to a hundred by the end of 2022. Wow. Um, I got one under my belt. <laughs> might have two. I was about you, to say where'd you, you get might it have at? Two. Look, I baptize in the river too. Nice. I don't do this. That's it's not a production now. Yeah, you might get bit by a fish. Yeah, you might step on a snapping turtle. It's a risk. He might the current might take you under. <laughs> yeah. He might lose you. It's a risk. You might catch a catfish at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Well, you well, know, I got this place called Lake Blue Ridge. Yeah, where I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. That's true. So that's true. Unless we do in the winter. Oh man. So yeah, you know. It, oh, when when did or or how has your you, you know you doing that as a kid like that for the peppermint candy stick, you know when did this relationship with Jesus, or has it, or or is is there something that you can point to to where it really became important to you 
or or a real like tangible part of your life. You know yeah. what I mean? So I went to um, Truett McConnell, which is a private Baptist college up in Cleveland, Georgia. That was the first school I went to, and on my way there, my uh, mom told me that she was divorcing my father. So I'm 17 or 18 years old, and um, I'm going to a school where I I didn't I there was one girl I went to high school with that was going there, um, but outside of that I knew no one, and I I barely knew her. Um, and I get dropped off and in my, my roommate, I, his name was Jack Gaines was what was on the outside of the door. And so that's the extent of what I knew of Jack. And I walked in to the room with my mom. We, we stopped at a Chinese restaurant, I think on the way there. And she told me, and, uh, I walk into the room and Jack is short for Jermaine Gaines. Jermaine six eleven is a starting basketball player on the on the basket or starting center on the basketball team. And Jermaine's got his entire family in our dorm room. So there's like twenty people, and they're all holding hands, and they're having church right there in the dorm room. And um. And he he was he always kept his Bible, uh, by you know like right there by his bed every night he'd read his Bible, and um, that was a hard time for me because you know my parents have been married for my whole life my obviously life, yeah. and and I'm getting dropped off a place I didn't know anybody, and um, and with Truett being a private Baptist college, you know there was Bible courses. Um, you had to go to chapel, you know, all those things. And I joined the student Baptist association and was going to that every Wednesday or whatever it was. And I think kind of in that moment, that time in my life, and, and that's why God put me there. I met some guys, Chad Cannon, who to this day, um, still is involved with like kids and in the ministry and a guy named Joe Grubbs, who just became dear friends, and they were both really strong Christians and really just helped me through a time that was that was just hard as a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, no one – I don't care how old you are. I don't think you ever want your parents to go through a divorce. You yeah. Know? And, um, and so I would say that's probably the, the time when I look back. But I remember specifically – and I shared this with Steve uh, Craig – where we were building out this this the building where we are now. Yeah. But before we were across the way and we were in about maybe 3000 square foot space. Today we're in I think like 30,000 yeah. square foot. And we were taking this huge leap of faith in building out our business. So we had this insurance company that came to us was going to give us an opportunity called Security Benefit. They're going to give us this product that had never been done before. They picked us out of all these IMOs. They picked four, but we were one of them. We were just this tiny little company at the time. And so we're like, man, if this actually works, like we're going to grow so fast that we this 3,000 square feet is not going to do it. So we went and we bought 15,000 square feet. So five times mm-hmm. the size of what we were currently in 
all on the hope that this new product that we were going to be able to sell will work. And I remember walking across the parking lot and really, I would say it's the first time in my life that like God spoke to me and he told me that everything, I don't know. I can't remember exactly what he said, but I, when I got to the building, I literally had tears in my eyes. And at the time it, it was just a big open space. There was nothing in there yet. And, um, and I had tears in my eyes because I knew that everything was going to be okay. And I know that was God that talked to me on my walk through that parking lot. And it's, it's probably the first and last time where, like, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Like, I heard it. You know what I mean? And I think people oftentimes want that and never get it. And for whatever reason, I got it just everything's going to be okay. I heard it loud and clear. Mm-hmm. And um that's probably like the the my god moment like where I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was him telling me and then of course everything has been, you know. It's worked out. Yeah. Yeah, uh, even more than I could have ever dreamed. And so I'll tell you what, man, you guys have also surrounded yourself with some great men and women of God, great children of God, uh, within your team there at impact. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at least the the ones that I've gotten to spend some time with are just rock solid, man. Yeah. And, um, I, I have to believe that probably a lot of the decisions that you make and the standards you uphold and the, the morals and ethics that you have at impact are probably biblical. Mm -hmm. I have to imagine. And, yeah, we've been dinged on that a yeah. couple of times on yeah. some, you know, review type things um, where people, you know, there's a lot of people in the world. I mean, you talk about it every time you talk about Jesus, you lose about, yeah. what, 20 or 30 people. Oh, more than that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we're, you know, our business is no different. And, and we don't really, I don't think we, we, Steve is not the, he's the one that, you know, started his hands and it's a, it's a non-denominational, yeah. very different from what I grew up like bat Southern Baptist church. You know, this is very, very different. So he was always very aware of like not wanting to like, you know, force Jesus on yeah employees. Yeah. Right. So we never really talked about it. Even when he would pray at like, event functions where we'd have advisors and stuff. He was very, very aware of like how, he, what he would say. Cause you know, we have Jewish people, we have Muslims, yep. we have atheists. I'm sure we have like all different types of people mm-hmm. from all different walks that are our customers. Right. And then of course our employees all are all the same thing too. We've got a, a, this diverse thing. And so it's a very fine line to walk especially when you're Steve, who's this, the pastor of a, a Jesus church. church, you know? And so, but I think that he always did a good job of... He did. People knew where he stood and where the company stood. Some people left because of it, but we never forced it. Well, I think simply what you guys, from my perspective, what you've done is you've provided a an environment where people can feel 
comfortable being open about their faith. Yeah. Like they're in in the workspace. Like if somebody said, if somebody called out the name of Jesus, they wouldn't get looked at like they got something vulgar drawn on their forehead. Like it's just a every. It seems like everybody's not yeah. that everybody's on the same page in their relationship with Jesus, but the fact that any I, th- I feel like anybody in there could share their testimony, and they wouldn't have to worry about suffering persecution. Absolutely, from you guys or from their team members. Mm-hmm. That's a really unique environment, man. Yeah, <laughs> for a company as big as you guys, you know, operate in. Yeah. So. I've had advisors tell me, and a lot of people, when they come into our space, they're like, man, something just feels mm-hmm. different in here. Yeah. But I've had advisors, so, and the two times I can remember it was both where advisors bring their spouses, and the women would say to me, you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit that's in here. Yeah. Like, they felt it. And we don't talk, you know. It's yeah. not like we're talking to that advisor about yeah. about anything. It's just I think we we certainly are surrounded by a lot of people that believe strongly and um, and are, are great Christian people. And I think that the Holy Spirit, when people feel that thing, that's probably what it is. Yeah. And I hope that he or she stays around. You know, <laughs> I mean, you need that. Yeah. You need that. You need whether you want to call it luck or God or whatever, the Holy Spirit. You know, I um, I, I pray for I, every night. I pray for for God to continue to bless our company and um, our teammates, our partners. You get which you guys are, and it's um, it's a huge part of who we are. Mm-hmm. And then see, I do the same thing. Pray for my family. Pray for our teammates. I pray for Odin for leadership. I pray for every single teammate on our company every night. And when we make decisions, I pray about it. Ask God, like, make sure we make the right choice. Yeah, yeah, we got some prayers. We do, Kim. Yeah, and uh, Ed. Ed. Yeah, I mean they they'll go in there. Yep, Bibles armed with Bibles and I know they'll yeah. go into different rooms. And I mean, you know, they, they really pray hard and have prayed hard many times for us. Yeah. BG, I'm going to get you straight one day, boy. I know you got man. it. I know you got it, son. Have you ever seen the preacher man in action? I mean, I look, I know BG's got it in him. Oh yeah. He, oh, just, he does. He, 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 he does. Just, we got, we, we got, I got a little few minor tweaks. I want to walk BG through <laughs> and that jerk about to be on fire, son. Oh man. I know he's going to listen to this podcast. That's why I'm calling him out. Absolutely. <laughs> and Absolutely. by the way, I can say this to him. The saints still suck. <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, uh, man, I could sit here and talk to you guys for hours. I know you got a long drive home. Uh, we'll we'll wrap it up right here. Blake, you got anything? No, I just appreciate y'all coming out and your your honesty and everything here. There's a lot of stuff you guys shared that you know you're putting yourself out there, but yeah, in the in the hopes that it's going to make someone else better. I know that's why y'all are doing it. So I appreciate y'all's time, investment you've made out here, and and who you are to us as friends and and as business partners. 
Yeah, definitely. I don't care if the only people listen to it's me and BG. <laughs> I got <laughs> I got a ton out of this, guys. Yeah, for sure. Really. Um, you guys got anything else that you, on your heart that you? No, nah, man. Just uh, for those of you that are supporting Chad and Blake, you know, you're these guys are the real deal. Mm-hmm. And so, if you get the opportunity to um, to do something with them, you know, do it. If you don't, if you don't like exactly whatever has been laid out, call them. These are good guys, and uh, you'll be blessed, and you'll be better. You'll be better person um, by partnering with them in some, you know, somehow, some way. So don't be afraid. Just call them. That means guys. a lot. I appreciate it, brother. Good peeps. Appreciate you guys. Thank you, Zeb. Maybe uh, we might do an elk hunt this fall. Oh yeah. Oh, we going we'll to? Talk, don't, don't say. It. We're not even gonna. No, you. T- I'm gonna get some meat. We ain't even gonna. T- we, we'll talk about O's hunting. With the rain. Skills, yeah, <laughs> later on in another episode. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. This is the 3-7 Podcast. Enough said.